every one of us has heard a really good ghost story, and we know that most of those ghost stories have roots that go back many, many years. Well, today I'm going to tell you what might be the oldest ghost stories you've ever heard. These are actual stories that were penned 2,000 years ago in a letter between friends. So after you hear these stories, I'll let you be the judge. Are there any truth to these, or are they just folklore? Hello, hello, and welcome back to Mysteries Abroad Podcast. I'm your host, Justin. And as you know, here on this podcast, we tell a little mixture of things. Sometimes we do some true crime, sometimes we do some paranormal, and today we're actually doing something kind of interesting. Now, currently I'm in Greece traveling. I'm in Athens right now, and I ran across some really, really old stories that tied in with some Greek stuff and some Roman stuff, and these stories are from 2,000 years ago. These stories were penned in a letter between a few friends and I'm going to read you the actual transcripts of what they wrote at the time. Now, of course, it's been translated to English, so it might sound a little strange, but this is going to be actually word for word straight from the letter that was sent where these stories were told, and I think these are absolutely amazing. Now, before we get into these stories, we're going to take just a minute to listen to this message from today's sponsor, which is AdventTrue. There are few things in this world better than a night of restful sleep. The kind of sleep where you drift off easily and wake up rested and refreshed. If that sounds good to you, then the people at AdventTrue have got you covered. AdventTrue is a brand new hemp company bringing all natural, high quality, and effective hemp products to the market. You can trust them to be your hemp experts whether you're trying it out for the first time or you're an experienced user. AdventTrue is a family-owned business that grows and crafts their products in Kansas. AdventTrue's drift gummies are specifically made to help in your bedtime routine. They are crafted with high-quality, popular hemp compounds like CBD and CBN and blended with natural, trusted ingredients like valerian root and lemon balm. Drift is flying off the shelves nationwide, and we don't want you to miss out. Currently, AdventTrue is offering 15% off on their website, www.adventrue.com. That's A-D-V-E-N-T-R-U-E.com. All you have to do is use the discount code WELCOME15 at the checkout at adventrue.com. So once again, thanks to AdventTrue for sponsoring this episode. And with that, let's get into today's stories. So today's stories were documented in a letter that was written from a man that we'll call Pliny. Now his actual name was Gaius Plinius Secundus but they called him Pliny the Younger, and he lived from 61 AD to 113 AD. Now, this guy was pretty famous at the time in the Roman Empire. He was a lawyer. He was a writer. uh, He worked in the Roman government, sort of like a treasurer kind of thing, and he was writing to a friend of his named Lucius Licinius Sura. Now, Sura lived from 40 AD to 108 AD, so roughly the same years. They were, you know, about the same age there. And Sura was a Roman senator, and he was in the area of Hispania, which you know we now call Spain, but the Romans at the time called that Hispania. And Pliny was writing this letter to him, basically asking him, do you believe in paranormal stuff? Because some weird things have happened to me. I've heard a couple of accounts that you know were from friends of mine, you know, like firsthand accounts, and then I've actually had some stuff happen to me personally. And so he was asking him, this was 2,000 years ago, again, He's asking him, do you believe in this stuff? What are your thoughts on it? Because I guess he's saying something like, I used to not believe in ghosts, but these things are happening, and I really can't explain them. So I really want some advice from my friend here. So he introduces this letter like this. 
The present recess from business we are now enjoying affords you leisure to give and me to receive instruction. I am extremely desirous, therefore, to know whether you believe in the existence of ghosts and that they have a real form and are a sort of divinities or only the visionary impressions of a terrified imagination. What particularly inclines me to believe in their existence is a story which I heard of Curtius Rufus. And this is where he gets into telling his friend the ghost stories. And again, I'm going to be reading this word for word for the most part because I don't want to paraphrase this. You know, I want to give you exactly what he is saying back here 2,000 years ago. And so the, the story begins this way. When he was in a low circumstance and unknown in the world, he attended the governor of Africa into that province. One evening, as he was walking in the public portico, there appeared to him a figure of a woman, of unusual size and of beauty more than human. And as he stood there, terrified and astonished, she told him that she was the tutelary power that presided over Africa and was come to inform him of the future events of his life, that he should go back to Rome to enjoy high honors there and return to that province invested with the proconsular dignity and there should die. Every circumstance of this prediction actually came to pass. It is said farther that upon his carriage to Carthage, as he was coming out of the ship, the same figure met him upon the shore. It is certain, at least, that being seized with a fit of illness, though there were no symptoms in his case that led those about him to despair, he instantly gave up all hope of recovery, judging, apparently, of the truth of the future part of the prediction by what had already been fulfilled and of the approaching misfortune from his former prosperity. So Pliny is telling this story of Curtius Rufus, and Curtius Rufus, you know, goes down there to Africa, and this woman appears to him, and he is struck by her beauty, and I guess she was larger than life. She is said to, she was of unusual size, and she said, look, I know that you're in a low state right now, and things aren't going good, but you need to return back to Rome, and there you're going to have dignity, you're going to have high honors, everything's going to be going great in your life, and you're going to end up dying there at the close of all this. And so that man does, Curtius Rufus, he heads back to Rome, and sure enough, everything comes to pass. I mean, word for word, what she said, everything is happening for him. And then one day, she appears to him on the shore again, and when he sees her, he falls sick, even though he wasn't sick before. He falls sick and knows immediately that he's going to die because everything has come true, and here is this woman standing in front of him once again, and sure enough, he dies. And so Pliny is saying, hey, I heard this story and I mean, it's spot on and it's really got me thinking about this stuff. You know, maybe, maybe there is something to this spirit realm. Maybe there are ghosts out there. Maybe they are communicating with us. Maybe they are foreseeing the future or something. And I'm just, I'm really conflicted about this. And then he continues his letter. Now the following story, which I'm going to tell you just as I heard it, is it not more terrible than the former while quite as wonderful? There was at Athens a large and roomy house, which had a bad name so that no one could live there. In the dead of the night, a noise resembling the clashing of iron was frequently heard, which, if you listened more attentively, sounded like the rattling of chains, distant at first, but approaching nearer by degrees. Immediately afterwards, a specter appeared in the form of an old man, of extremely emaciated and squalid appearance, with a long beard and disheveled hair, rattling the chains on his feet and hands. The distressed occupants, meanwhile, passed their wakeful nights under the most dreadful terrors imaginable. This, as it broke their rest, ruined their health, and brought on distempers. Their terror grew upon them, and death ensued. Even in the daytime, though the spirit did not appear, 
yet the impression remained so strong upon their imaginations that it still seemed before their eyes and kept them in perpetual alarm. So, of course, this family that's living in this house, this haunted house, they are really disturbed by this, and they're like, we can't live here anymore. They move out of the house. They decide we're going to sell this house, but they know that the house has a bad name, and they're not going to get much money for it. And so they list it low, and they're just hoping that they're going to find someone who is going to buy the house or rent the house for a cheap price, you know, someone that hasn't heard of the stories yet, and they're like, at least we'll get some money out of this and we can move on. So here is him telling that part of the story. Consequently, the house was at length deserted as being deemed absolutely uninhabitable, so that it was now entirely abandoned to the ghost. However, in hopes that some tenant might be found who was ignorant of this very alarming circumstance, a bill was put up giving notice that it was either to be let or sold. It happened that Athenodorus, the philosopher, came to Athens at this time, and reading the bill, inquired the price. The extraordinary cheapness raised his suspicion. Nevertheless, when he heard the whole story, he was so far from being discouraged that he was more strongly inclined to hire it, and in short, actually did so. So now you have this philosopher who shows up. His name is Athenodorus. And Athenodorus, he lived from 74 BC to about 7 AD. He was first century uh, Greek philosopher, and he was personal friends with a lot of famous people like Cicero and stuff. He was actually a teacher of a young man who would later become known as Caesar Augustus. So this guy, he was he was pretty famous at the time. I mean, he was a philosopher, and he went around, and he, you know, he was bumping elbows with some some pretty big people, and his area of philosophy was stoicism which was a focus on logic and reasoning and integrity and self-control and and controlling your emotions and things like that so he shows up at this house and he immediately knows hey this is this is too good to be true the price is just too cheap on this there's something wrong here and so the people told him look um here's the story the place is haunted this is what's happening every night and and you probably don't want to rent it now. And he was like, no, absolutely, I want to rent this thing. I'm, I'm more inclined now to rent it. And he did. He actually rented it. Now, keep in mind that his area of philosophy is stoicism, which is where you have emotional self-control and integrity and things like that. So he's going into this thinking, this is a good opportunity for me to test my skills. You know, I teach philosophy. I teach people how to control their mind and not be afraid of things like this. So I'm going into this house uh, to figure out what this ghost situation is really all about. So let's continue reading. When it grew towards evening, he ordered a couch to be prepared for him in, front of, in the front part of the house, and after calling for a light, together with his pencil and tablets, directed all the people to retire, but that his mind might not, for want of employment, be open to vain terrors of imaginary noises and spirits, he applied himself to writing with the utmost attention. The first part of the night passed in entire silence. As usual, at length, a clanking of iron and rattling of chains was heard. However, he neither lifted up his eyes nor laid down his pen, but in order to keep calm and collected, tried to pass the sound off to himself as something else. The noise increased and advanced nearer and nearer, till it seemed at the door, and at last in the chamber. He looked up, saw, and recognized the ghost, exactly as it had been described to him. It stood before him, beckoning him with the finger like a person who calls another. Athenodorus, in reply, made a sign with his hand that it should wait a little, and threw his eyes again upon his papers. The ghost then rattled the chains over the head of the philosopher, who looked upon this, and seeing it, 
beckoning as before, immediately arose, and light in hand followed it. The ghost slowly stalked along, as if encumbered with its chains, and turning into the area of the house, suddenly vanished. Athenodorus, being thus deserted, made a mark with some grass and leaves on the spot where the spirit left him. So we've got Athenodorus. This guy is in here, and he said, I'm going to be up all night because they've told me that this place is haunted at nighttime, so I've, I've got to stay up tonight and see what's going to happen. And he sits down, and he starts you know, doing his writing, whatever he's, he's writing down, his philosophy things, and he starts to hear this ghost noise that everybody's describing to him, and he's like, nope, I'm just staying in my, in my work here. I'm just going to keep writing, and this ghost is nothing. That sound has to be something else. It has to be explainable. It's not a ghost. I don't believe in ghosts. And he keeps going, and the next thing he knows, he looks up and sees, sure enough, this ghost is standing here, just like everybody's describing to him. And the ghost is telling him to come with him. And Athenodorus says, no, you're just going to have to wait a minute. I'm still writing here, which is amazing, considering he studies Stoicism. And he's like, no, I have a ghost literally standing in front of me. And I'm just like, no, you got to wait a minute, dude. So he takes his time, and the, the ghost is getting a little upset, starts really shaking the chain right over his head. And Athenodorus said, okay, I'm done writing. I'll follow you. And he follows this ghost to a point, and it says in the house. But, you know, back in those days, they had courtyards and things that were considered within the house. And so apparently they went outside into one of those courtyards, and the ghost just disappeared. And so Athenodorus kind of marks the spot right there in the leaves. And then uh, he says, you know what, I'm going to deal with this tomorrow. So the story continues here. The next day, he gave information to the magistrates and advised them to order that spot to be dug up. This was accordingly done, and the skeleton of a man in chains was found there, for the body, having lain in considerable time in the ground, was putrefied and moldered away from the fetters. The bones, being collected together, were publicly buried, and thus, after the ghost was appeased by the proper ceremonies, the house was haunted no more. So sure enough, the next day, he has them dig up that spot where the ghost left him the night before, and they found a body buried there, or what was left of a body. It seems to be that it was mostly just bones. But it was the bones of someone buried there in chains, just like the ghost had. The ghost was carrying those chains around. And they find this guy that maybe was murdered or whatever the case was and was just put in the dirt right there. And he said, you know what, let's give him a proper burial ceremony somewhere else, somewhere not in my house. And they did that, and sure enough, the haunting was gone, and so from then on, you know, he had peaceful nights in that house. So now Pliny tells one more story to his friend, Sura, and this story actually happened to Pliny himself. This story was, well, it didn't actually happen to him, but it happened to the people in his household. So he's like, this is a first-hand account. This is what is really bugging me right now. This is what I really need your advice on. And here is his story. This story, I believe, upon the credit of others, what I'm going to mention, I give you upon my own. I have a freedman named Marcus, who is by no means illiterate. One night, as he and his younger brother were lying together, he fancied he saw somebody upon his bed, who took out a pair of scissors and cut off the hair from the top part of his own head, and in the morning it appeared his hair was actually cut, and the clippings lay scattered about the floor. A short time after this, an event of similar nature contributed to give credit to the former story. A young lad of my family was sleeping in his apartment with the rest of his companions when two persons clad in white came in, as he says, through the windows, cut off his hair as he lay, and then returned the same way they entered. 
The next morning it was found that this boy had been served just as the other, and there was the hair again spread about the room. So Pliny is saying, I've got these two guys in my household. They've both had similar experiences. One of them is a freedman that works for me. His name is Marcus, and he wakes up. He thinks someone is sitting on the bed, and that person takes out a pair of scissors, snips hairs off of his head, and then leaves. And he notices the next morning when he wakes up, sure enough, he's missing that hair, and the hair is scattered around them like just on the floor as if someone actually physically was there and snipped his hairs off. And then he's got this other person in his family that was sleeping in his room, and he said that he saw two people in white, and they came in through the window, and they also took out scissors, and they also snipped some of his hair off, and then they left. And when he woke up the next morning, same exact thing. He actually physically had some hairs cut off, and the hairs were laying around him. Now, Pliny goes on to finish this story, and he says... Nothing remarkable indeed followed these events, unless, perhaps, that I escaped a prosecution in which, if Domitian, who was the person who was ruling at the time, had lived some time longer, I should certainly have been involved. For after the death of that emperor, articles of impeachment against me were found in his scutor, which had been exhibited by Chorus. It may therefore be conjectured since it is customary for persons under any public accusation to let their hair grow, this cutting off of the hair of my servants was a sign I should escape the imminent danger that threatened me. Let me desire you then to give this question your mature consideration. The subject deserves your examination, as I trust I am not myself altogether unworthy a participation in the abundance of your superior knowledge." And though you should, as usual, balance between two opinions, yet I hope you will lean more on one side than on the other, lest whilst I consult you in order to have my doubts settled, you should dismiss me in the same suspense and indecision that occasioned you the present application. Farewell. So, he said, you know, you could just say nothing happened to this. You could just say they just had some weird dreams. You could say somebody played a prank on them, whatever. But he believed, Pliny believed, that there was some meaning here to these dreams. He said, I think this is too significant not to be anything. And come to find out a short time later, their emperor, Domitian, died. And they found in his desk drawer or something like that that he had letters where Pliny was going to be uh, impeached from his position. And as he explains in that letter, at the time, people would grow their hair out when, uh, when they were being charged with something, you know, from the government, when there was some public accusation or something. And so he said, what if it is that it's a sign that my guys had their hair cut off and that was like as if it was telling me, hey, it's okay, you can cut your hair off from this public accusation. You're going to be safe from this stuff because this emperor is going to die before this thing comes to pass. So Clearly, this was like heavy on his mind. He's asking his friend, Sura, like, hey, I, I really I respect your opinion, and I think you're a mature person, and you're a very wise person, so please tell me what you think about this, because I'd, I'd love to, to get your thoughts on this. So I did a little bit more digging myself on what was um, the custom back then, you know, as far as believing in ghost stories and things. And it turns out that between Greece and Rome, there were actually a lot of very similar views on ghosts and, and the afterlife and things like that. Now, there were several differences, but they were at their core very much the same. Um, they believed that good people, when they died, they would go to Elysium, 
and if they were bad people, that they would go to a place called Tartarus, or they would end up aimlessly wandering around Hades, uh, just kind of in a, a state of neutrality, if you will. They would just kind of wander around listlessly, I suppose. Now, the Greeks also believed that the living had to remember the memory of the dead, or they would become wandering souls, which to me sounds a lot like the movie Coco. If y'all have seen that Disney movie Coco, you know that they they have to the living people have to remember uh, the ones that have passed on before them from their family, and if they forget uh, in the in this Spanish Mexican culture that they're displaying in the movie, if they forget about their loved ones that have passed on, then the loved one kind of disappears and and just goes away out of their afterlife. But just like it is today in the modern world, it was the same back then. You know, there were some that believed in ghosts and there were some that didn't believe in ghosts. Some people said it's fake. And and that's obviously evidenced by this letter that we have here because he's saying, hey, uh, you know, maybe I didn't used to believe in ghosts, but this is really kind of weird to me. So let me ask you, friend, uh, what do you what do you think about this? But those that did believe in those days that they had ghosts and stuff, it wasn't an evil thing. They didn't believe in it like it was, uh, this is like a haunting per se in, in the way that we think of it today. They usually thought that normally it was because someone was denied a proper burial ceremony. And that is what we got from that second story, that man in chains, the, the ghost that was in chains. He was probably murdered or something like that and was just buried in the yard there at that house. And so... It's likely that he didn't get his ceremony, and so that's what they were talking about in that story was all we have to do is give him a proper burial, and the house is going to be good to go now. That's that's the only thing that's going on here. But back in those days, it wasn't so much an evil thing. Today, we think of you know ghosts or spirits as being something evil, but to them, it was just uh, it's probably somebody that didn't get a proper ceremony, or it is a family member that's coming back to give us some some sort of a message or something, but it's not evil. It really didn't get an evil connotation until much later um, when uh, Christendom kind of spread there in Europe. Then they started getting more of a demonic feel or a, a demonic association with most ghost stories, you know, and that's what we have a lot of today. Most people talk about ghosts and how scary that would be. But um, for the most part in those days, it typically just meant that, you know, there was just some unfinished business or a message to send. So me personally, do I believe in ghosts and spirits? Not so much. I'm really on the fence about it. I have had some experiences happen to me similar to what you might hear of in, in like these ghost stories here. Some things um, that I have experienced that are completely unexplainable. It is, I guess, paranormal activity. We would put it in that category. But even so, even having those experiences, I am still very much a skeptic. But I'm an open-minded skeptic as well. So... I, I love listening to these stories. I love researching these stories and hearing what these people have to say. And I do take it with a grain of salt. But I also say, you know, maybe there is some truth to it for this person. I mean, it was important enough. He was writing a letter back in those days to his friend because he was like, hey, this this is serious to me. Like I experienced this or I heard this firsthand or I know this to be true or whatever the case is. And he's saying, look, I, I need some help on this because I'm not sure. And I guess I am sort of in that place, too. I'm with plenty on that that you know i'm like i don't necessarily for sure believe in ghosts and spirits and all this stuff but i've had some stuff happen and, and i think it can be really interesting so that's going to do it for today's episode i hope you guys enjoyed this story or actually these this trio of stories here from 2000 years ago these are some of the oldest ghost stories i've ever heard in my life i don't want to say that they're the oldest ones that we have on record but it's certainly the oldest that i have ever come across and 
I would love to come across some that are even older because I think this is super interesting to see these actually documented from that long ago. And I do believe now I am going to seek these things out, these really old ghost stories, because that's just really fascinating to me. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check back for future ones. As you know, we do upload two times a week. So stay tuned for those. And thanks for listening. Thank you.